Welcome to Entrepreneur, the podcast for Wizards of Eyes. I'm Dr. Raymond Brill with my co-host, Perry Brill, and we're here to bring you stories about Wizards of Eyes. Yes, what is a wizard, Dr. Brill? Well, these are folks that you may have heard about, may not have heard about. These are people who are actually very successful in doing what they do in all aspects of eye care. We're not talking to self-proclaimed industry geniuses, experts, masters, or gurus, because we're talking to wizards of eyes that make it happen each and every day. They are out there working every day, in the labs, on the road, in the practices, in surgery suites, making lenses, making frames. Yes, we want to hear these back-of-the-house stories about innovation, entrepreneurship, and make you feel excited to do what you do. We want you to be energized about the whole eye care field. And this is not your big optical program. This is done out of the passion of our hearts. Please go ahead and subscribe to Entrepreneur, the podcast for Wizards of Eyes on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or your favorite app. Also, visit Entrepreneur.com where you'll find our latest blogs and special video content. That's www.eyetrepreneur.com. This episode of Entrepreneur is supported by 3DNA Eyewear, the only 3D facial scanning bespoke eyewear design app that allows opticians to design any frame a creative mind can imagine, like frame materials made from wood, shell, buffalo horn, carbon fiber, acetate, titanium, and even your favorite vinyl records. Deliver to your office in as little as seven days. Are you tired of being showroomed? Are you tired of RXs walking out your door for cheap do-it-yourself online ordering? Well, no more perpetual in-office try-on of frames until it's so confusing that you lose the sale. Free up capital, lower your inventory costs, and make frames to order. All you do is design the frame for a perfect fit based on a 3DNA facial and head scan. Join the revolution of 3DNA eyewear providers and stand strong against mass-produced frames. You are in charge of the design and material selection. It's your brand now. Download the app for free at our website, entrepreneur.com slash wizard, and start designing today with our special limited time offer. Welcome to this episode of Entrepreneur, the podcast for Wizards of Eyes. Today, we're going to get into the millennial's mind. We're trying to figure out what makes millennials tick, what makes them buy what they buy, do what they do. And today, we have three millennials here from the Kansas City Marketplace, and I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Taylor, would you go ahead and start us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Taylor. I've lived in Kansas my entire life. I went to the University of Kansas for college, and I got a degree in strategic communications, which is basically marketing and the journalism side. And I recently reside on the Kansas City, Missouri side in the loft downtown, and I work in finance. My name is Chris Moe. I graduated from the University of Kansas with a degree in chemical engineering. I'm currently working as a field engineer for Waters Corporation, uh, and I'm currently residing with my mom up in Mission, Kansas, saving money for a house. 
My name is Molly. Um, I'm from Kansas, but I went to the University of Oklahoma. Um, and then after that, I lived in China for two years. I just moved back in with my parents to save money, and I'm transitioning career-wise right now. So let's get right into the purchasing patterns of millennials. Are millennials into do-it-yourself shopping? Could you define that? Yeah. What does that mean? Okay. So you're, it's two in the morning, you've worked hard, you're finished your Netflix movie, and now you think, you know, I want to get a pair of shoes. So are you more likely to plan to go to the shoe store or go to the mall the next day? Or are you more likely to say, look at, let me just go on Zappos or Tom's and I'm just going to go buy a pair of shoes because I know I can return it and I'd rather just do it on my own. I don't need any help. For me personally, I'm not a big online shopper. I like to go to the retail location. I live alone. I like the interactions with humans. I like absorbing all my five senses of the smell of the shoe, not the smell, but like, is it nice leather? How does it feel? What is the texture? I like the ambiance of shopping. I like the transaction. I'm more likely to buy it in store than online because online, I don't know what the quality is going to be. Do you research your shoes online before you buy them? No. Okay. How do you know where to go shopping for shoes? Um, what, what gives you influence? Is it social media, friends, or just word of mouth? It's my dollar, my bargain. I will go to Nordstrom Rack. I will go to clearance places. I don't ever pay the price for anything. Yeah, I would, I'm kind of agreeing with Taylor. When it comes to shopping, I don't, I don't really buy online. I have to physically feel it, see it, make sure the quality is good. And so for me, I can never buy shoes, clothes, anything. You know, I guess that's based on fashion online. Same, yeah. I would buy um, like books and household items online, but I would tend to buy clothes or shoes in a brick-and-mortar store for the reasons you guys have mentioned. So the commodities you're okay with ordering online – but for the, you'd like the shopping experience, the personal in-store shopping experience. Okay, so that's very interesting because in general, we think millennials want to buy everything online, don't need any, any service at all. So have you discovered the benefits of full service and things that are particular to you? Uh, maybe, maybe it's shopping, maybe it's personal services, perhaps even in healthcare. Well, yeah, like healthcare, you want to have in person. Like, I don't want my freaking doctor on Skype or something. I want them to, like, you know, smell my gaping wound or whatever. That's a bad example. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, I think like like my doctor, you obviously want in person. If I'm going to buy makeup, I want to go to Sephora and they can like choose my shade and match it to my skin tone and stuff. Um, but other stuff that's less personalized, it doesn't matter. So when you're buying makeup, Molly, and there's a salesperson there. Maybe they're on commission. Maybe they're not. Do you enjoy? getting their professional advice? Are you like, oh, this person's going to get my commission. I just want to figure out which eyeliner works best. What? No, I'll ask them for like help if I want um, help. Do you ever showroom a place? Meaning, uh, let's say you're at a shoe store. You look at it on Amazon. Look it up on your phone and say, you know, that shampoo is like 
30 cents cheaper online. Plus I can get prime and I'll just deliver it or. Yeah, I do that occasionally. It makes me feel so guilty though. Cause it's like, I'm just like, you know, using this store, but it's cheaper. <laughs> can you come by? Yeah, that? yeah I, I agree. If I see something in retail and if I think I can get it cheaper, I'll probably look it up right then and there with my phone. And if I do find a better deal, I'll just save it and then order it later and just save some money. Taylor? Yeah, I don't know. Normally, normally the things I'm buying online, though, wouldn't or buying in the store isn't what I would buy online ever. Like, it's most of the places I go to are already discounted enough that I can't really find it any cheaper because I've already done my research before going to the store. But that's just me. Okay, great feedback there. Um, how about shopping small business versus corporate corporations? Do you have a preference on that? Well, for me, I'm a big foodie. So if it's supporting local restaurants, that's something that I'm really big into. Uh, coffee shops as well. Uh, in terms of, I guess, common commodities such as clothes, I really don't have a preference. It's more just if I like the style, I'll get it. For clothes, I mostly shop at thrift stores for like ethical reasons and because it's super cheap. Um, and for other stuff, I prefer small businesses. But at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't want to break the bank because I'm 25. So pricing is very important to you. And what if you're in a place that looks very nice and has the same pricing or has reasonable pricing, would you assume just because it looks nice that it's going to be a higher price? That's a perception. And we eye doctors like to have really nice offices, most of us. And, but for some people, when they say, wow, wow means I love this place. I trust them. I'm going to get it here. Let's say for glasses or contacts or wow means like I'm out of here as soon as I can. And then I'm going to go to go shop for price. So how does the perception of the environment and that in-person shopping experience affect what your perception is or what the pricing would be. I still want my doctor's offices and the place I go to visit to look nice. I think it's more of the products they're serving in the office. Like, let's say you guys probably have a lower in line and then a higher in line. I want both options to like see, okay, well, this is the crappy quality. Let me go look at something nicer. I want that value to compare myself in the store and you guys to have different price points in the store. And I think most places do offer that. There's going to be an expensive rack and there's going to be a cheaper rack. And it's up for me now that I'm in the building to decide what I want to buy. So we have to actually prove the value or point out the value instead of just going by where's the, where's the sale rack. I'm not looking at anything else. I think it's a classic example of like the William Sonona bread maker, how they there's this marketing study that back in a couple of years ago, there was this appliance, a bread maker. No one was going to buy it. I don't know if it was a bread maker exactly, but the sales on it were dismal. Then they introduced a higher price bread maker and their sales increased dramatically because we want that perceived value. Oh, that, that's totally right. Um, it's amazing how pricing can influence our purchases. So let's say you walked into an optical and there was no prices on the eyewear. Would that scare you or would you just say, I'm going to ask what price it is? It would scare me. Like that Gucci episode of like, if there's no price tag, you can't afford it. <laughs> yeah, for me, if there was no price tag, it wouldn't scare me. It would, I would just question, if I find a style I like, I'd probably ask, try it on first, see how it fits. 
and then ultimately ask how much it is and then make my decision. So I, I want to get back to healthcare in general. Um, it sounds like you are relationship based on in healthcare versus just a transaction or an encounter. So I, I think dentistry is very hard to be transaction based because you have to see the dentist. You can't get that online. But a lot of people wait till they're sick and then they say, I'm just going to go to urgent care. You know, I'm going to go see the nurse at, at CVS or at Walgreens. So there is tends to be a, a little push to do online eye exams, which is illegal in, in, in a lot of states. But uh, some people think that that actually can be done and then they can continue with their online purchases. What's your thoughts about doing online telehealth or eye care or anything like that just as a convenience for you so you only pay the $40 or whatever it costs instead of having to go through that uh, that experience of you know filling out forms and and actually having to deal with the doctors and the nurses. My mom uses a business we call Teladoc. And it's basically when you're sick, you can call in and get a prescription. And I've used it before. I knew I had strep throat. I've suffered from that before. I needed an antibiotics prescription. Why would I want to pay $40 copay for them to just write me a prescription? So for that, I'm fine using it. When it's just a simple script I need filled, I don't want to, don't need the human interaction. I tell them these are my symptoms and I get antibiotic. But for eye care, that would be a little strange online when it seems so much tinkering with mechanics and you can't really... Tell someone's eyes online, can you? I don't know if our technology is there. I'm in the dark about that. But yeah, for me, when it comes to health, that's one of the most important aspects in my life, at least. And that's something I don't want to take shortcuts in. Uh, so when it comes to visiting a doctor, that's I prefer to see someone in person. Um, I think I used to share that opinion. And then when I was living in China, they like you don't really go to the eye doctor like you're like at the eyewear store and they just have like a little deal and you, you know, five minutes, have your script, have your glasses. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I think that if you have like I'm you guys know better than me. I'm not an eye doctor. If you have like other problems like astigmatism or something else like you, you, you don't know the health of your eye. And so there's like benefits to getting periodic optometry exams for eye health, but for basically just getting a normal script, it seems to work perfectly well and it's a fraction of the cost. And so on like a semi-regular basis, that's something I'd be perfectly fine with. Yeah. The United States is a lot more differentiated in the eye care space. So in China or the UK or India, they separate the refraction from the health side. So even though you might have a great pair of glasses, you might be internally bleeding in your eye, have diabetic retinopathy, have glaucoma, and you would never know that until your um, 50s and 60s. So those things build up over time. Um, So yeah, just a lot of different philosophies on that. And there are things where you use a webcam and use your smartphone to look at an eye chart and they'll spit out a prescription. If it's right, great. But if it's not, um, who knows what you're going to do next step. Okay, you millennials. What do we have to do to win you over, to impress you, and to get you to write a five-star Google review? Give me a cash incentive. What, can you elaborate on that? I mean, pay you for your review? Sure, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's legal. Like a $5 gift card? Or- yeah, yeah, discount on my next purchase. 
No, but when it comes for me, it's really all about service. Um, and it comes down to the person I'm interacting with and someone that goes above and beyond, probably beyond the normal expectations of a typical visit. And when that happens, they make my day and it's enough to make me go online and give them a great review. Taylor? As someone that has never written a Yelp review, Google review, or any type of review in my entire life online, you would really have to impress the pants of me in order for me to do an online review for you. Why don't you write reviews? Just Do you look at reviews when you go to restaurants? Uh, no, it's just like people that write reviews are just people that write internet comments to me. Just I don't read them. I don't care. I just word of mouth by my friends of telling me it's a great place. It's a lot more valuable to me than a three and a half star Yelp review. What if they had, what if you go to a place and they have a hundred reviews, but they're like a 2.5 and you look at other similar businesses and they're a a 4.5. Does that influence you? I'm just not searching for reviews when I'm going to find more to eat. I'm just, if I'm hungry, I don't have the time to be like, oh, well, this one's only a 4.2, but this one's a 4.5. I don't know. Let's just go with the higher starred one. Let's do it. (laughs) I'm a, so with my job, I travel a lot and I visit a lot of cities and I actually use Yelp almost all the time. I, I write reviews as well. And so for me, it does have an influence. Um, the number of reviews as well as the actual rating kind of can steer me in a certain direction. I guess I like occasionally look at reviews and occasionally leave reviews, but Um, It's not very consistent. I think I'm more likely to pay attention to and leave reviews on like a product I buy on Amazon or something than at like a doctor or like a service. So I think that uh, as far as reviews go, you're not going to look at reviews for Taco Bell or Chipotle or McDonald's. (laughs) No. But for things you have no knowledge about, I think a lot of people do use reviews, at least to get some knowledge, uh, whether whether it's a book or a microphone or something where you just have no knowledge. So is that how you guys behave too? Yeah, I mean, that that rings true. Yeah, it's the same with me. When I'm getting something new, I have to, I probably spend at least a couple hours researching. Uh, just this past month, I um, got some camping gear and needed some for, you know, about 20 degree weather. And so you know, that, that's pretty cold, and I have to make sure that the gear I'm buying is well-suited, it's comfortable, it'll last, it's durable. And so what's great is, you know, the comments help out a lot, but it's also, you know, a double-edged sword because people, you know, if, if people usually write reviews if it's either if they have a bad experience or a very good experience. So it really kind of skews the way you'll perceive certain items. So when you're choosing healthcare providers, how do you go about finding them? And then what makes a good experience at a healthcare provider? Almost every healthcare provider I've gone to, it's been a recommendation or I know them. So for me, it's not like, or they're in my network, which is also very important. You're looking at your insurance list? Yes. I don't want to make the mistake of going to someone twice as expensive, just some arbitrary rule that they're not in my insurance. How do... Does proximity of location to your home or work play into the equation? I mean, it's Kansas City, so everywhere is like 15 minutes with hardly any traffic. So for me, it doesn't play too much into 
into my decision to go to them, whether they're five minutes away or 10, like it's not that much of a factor for me. And are you willing to wait for your favorite doctor, even if it's three or four weeks, but you want to get in now? Cause you, it depends what it is. If it's like a physical that I need, like I'll wait. But if it's like, okay, I'm dying of a strep throat and I need it now, I'm not going to wait three or four weeks. Okay. Chris, how do you go about your healthcare provider choices? Growing up, I didn't really have health insurance or any of that. And so my, I guess, philosophy was just kind of tough it out. And you, and I've always gotten better. And so now, now that you know, I graduated, got a job, got health care, I, I don't really have a primary physician or someone that I know. So I go through my insurances list of doctors, look at the reviews, and I've been just kind of picking one and seeing how that works out. So recently I went to a dentist. I've been to him twice now. And I think I'm probably going to switch not really happy with his uh, service. So, so for me, it's just kind of looking and if I don't like it, move on to the next. Um, I tend to, yeah, look for a doctor in my network. Um, and friends' recommendations are also important to me. When I move to a place, I usually end up just going to, like, the regional clinic or whatever is the kind of easiest, most accessible option. Well, next I want to move into your use of social media. So this is also an area where we're all trying to figure out what should our presence be there as uh, small businesses and healthcare providers? And some people say, well, yeah, you got to be on Facebook, but it's a total waste of time in terms of marketing and getting return. Other people do it in a much bigger way and uh, have the concept of Gary Vaynerchuk where it's give, 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 take. So kind of discuss how you use social media on a daily basis and, um, what what source, whether it's Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Instagram, you know, you use for, for purchases? What would you be like most likely to use for, let's say, if you were purchasing? I don't think I really use social media for purchasing. I mean, if I'm going to buy something online, I'll go to like Amazon or something maybe. Is that your question? When you're scrolling through your Facebook feed or Instagram feed and you see um, like a purse or a pair of shoes, does that pique your interest to make you click over? Or are you just like, eh, it's just an ad and maybe I'll see it again? Um, yeah, I think it like rarely piques my interest when something like that comes across my feed. Okay, and then one last question, Molly. So let's say you saw a eye doctor advertising and they look like real hip, cool eye doctors. Yeah, I want to go there. You know, the, the eye doctor looked like McDreamy or something. Would that affect your decision to go? No, because I mean, I already have an eye doctor and I think I don't, I mean, I think if you have an established, like when I'm moving to a new place, then I'd be open to a new doctor. But if I have an established doctor, I'm not going to change doctors because I saw an Instagram ad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When it comes to ads, they're like telemarketers to me. I just completely ignore it. Even if it's something I probably want, I think the idea of just an ad has been just a part of my life so much that you it's easy to just ignore now but i will say over time saying the seeing the same company does kind of get integrated within i guess your consciousness or whatever and so eventually if you needed their service and you saw their company ad enough you would think oh you know i've seen their ad a lot they must be doing well so but you're aware of 
facts of retargeting and geofencing and all that. So that, you know, that when you looked up something, camping equipment, now all of a sudden you're getting yeah. emails and texts oh, and yeah, yeah. everything about camping equipment. Yes. Yeah, so like my Facebook right now is covered with camping ads, uh, equipment ads. And I, I don't look at them because I just do my own research. And then once I find the product I want, that's when I make the purchase. It's almost offensive when I get ads on Facebook. I just want to avoid them. I don't want to deal with them. It's like my one space where I can try to avoid ads. And even now, it's annoying. And I think millennials and other, like we always, once it gets infiltrated, we're on to the next thing of like Facebook became in, like infiltrated with grandmas and ads. They moved to Twitter. Now Twitter is like that. So we moved to Instagram and now they're getting us with Instagram. It's like we're always on like one step ahead of you to try to keep away from the ads. What's next? What are you on next? What are the kids onto these days? I don't know. I just like have my main three. Musically. Is, musically or like Spotify or something. It's yeah. got to be like, get out of here. <laughs> Go away. Maybe the dark web. You need to get on the dark web, Taylor. <laughs> Maybe. I need to get away from it somehow. It's interesting because I got a degree in advertising and I learned like all about it. And it's just almost disgusting of how personal it can get. Ugh. So, have you guys seen the Hubble contact lens ads? Yes. Okay. I'm, what do you think of that? What is it? What are they trying to do? I don't know. I just know they have like this the dry contact lens and it looks super gross, right? It's like dry lenses got $10 off or something on Instagram. Okay. So, you've seen that. I haven't seen that. What is it? What is it? The only thing I'm thinking of is like this lens ad that was like, you can zoom up yeah. close. And we're like, we just have asked you to play YouTube music when we exit out. Like that funny meme. That's all I remember from the contact ads. Like, Ooh, like, I haven't seen that. Well, there's a, <laughs> there's some people that are influenced by an ad where you got colorful boxes and trying to make it look like, okay, you could bypass the doctor. You just need to put your prescription in and get them. And they are, uh, Thought to be cheaper, but not in actuality cheaper. But in reality, it's a it's a 1989 technology that, if you look at the reviews and YouTube videos, people don't like it by and large. You know, they think it's cool, but they don't like it. So, um, and there's several companies that are doing that, trying to make it like, okay, just make it cheap, and let me just order them. I don't want to be bothered by having the in office experience. So I think what Dr. Bill is saying is. Packaging and healthcare is sometimes deceiving. You know, you go to the ladies' department and they have like the prettiest boxes of on like the lotion. But the real pro one that really works is that old bottle of lotion with the 1980s logo. And that's probably the one that's better for you. Have you ever experienced that? How product packaging affects your purchase? Packaging is everything. But where are the eye doctors like him saying, don't do this? It's bad. There's no, you don't hear any dissent from the industry themselves. Shouldn't you guys be like reaching out to us and being advocates of saying this technology is actually really bad and here's why? When we do that, it's generally considered to be we're greedy professionals and we want you to just come to us and, 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 um, and not just buy things direct. So in person, all that information has to be tailored to the person. So we can say, this is a product that would not suit you, not just not for the business part of it, just because it may not correct you well or meet your physiological needs. So, so we have to kind of watch that and we don't want to be perceived as giving you choices that would benefit us and, uh, and interfere with your interaction just based on price. 
So I guess that's a downfall of the retail aspect of optometry is that if a real doctor told me this, like an MD, not real doctor, but like a medical doctor that I go see for a checkup told me this isn't good for you. I wouldn't be worried about, oh, he just wants my business for me to come into his office. But you guys have that aspect of retail where you feel, you feel like salesmen. So that's why. No, it's per, that's on a personal basis, on a trust basis. But if it was done industry-wide, it would be thought to just a turf battle, so to speak. So um, at least places or companies, I won't say the exact name, but it kind of rhymes with Darby Marker, you know, has that cartoon that says, avoid the greedy middleman. And when in reality, um, you know, the products are cheaply made in China for not that, and they're sold for not that cheap a price, but it's a perception that it's way cool. And I want to go through that. I've got to buy, I've got to buy that because they're, they're branding to me and the branding is good. And the experience may be good, but when you actually get the product, um, it's, it's much lower than what was expected. So moving forward, as far as, um, Let's get into the topic of eyewear quality. Um, you know, how do you choose to go to a private practice or, or a chain, which you might find in a mall or a strip center, versus going to an independent eye doctor who owns his own business? And then part two of the question would be, or her business, There's lots of female optometrists. Um, and then part two would be, how do you choose the quality of eyewear you want? Do you want something that's going to last six months and then replace it? Are you going for a product that you can have for three to 10 years? I think that in terms of optometry, I usually go to the most convenient option, which is going to be the one. I usually go to the most convenient option, which is usually a chain, which is probably like less ethical or whatever, but um, I probably usually go to a chain just because it's easier. Um, and then in terms of quality of eyewear, um, I'm probably going for like the cheaper option. And I mean, glasses aren't like, I mean, yeah, it's good to have better quality glasses, but they're not like shoes or something. I mean, if I'm not going to, I feel like if I have low quality, lower quality eyewear, they're probably going to be fine if I'm not like... <laughs> I don't know, throwing them around at the lake or whatever. <laughs> so what role does style have to do that? With? Oh, I want them to look good. Yeah. Like, like how, about good? how about feel good? Yeah, yeah. I want them to fit. I want them to have good style. And I mean, I think in like an ideal world, I'm buying glasses at somewhere that I like can go in and like service them and have some type of warranty and they can adjust them if they don't feel right. Like that's a optimal glasses buying situation. Do you want to go up to the f frame boards and play around yourself and pick them? Or would you rather sit down in a chair and someone bring them to you? You know, I, you like to pick yeah. them. That's the fun part. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. You know your face better than anyone else. Yeah, and you're playing dress up for your face. <laughs> so you don't really care for the service experience on that. We, we no, prefer. No, I mean, I want somebody to, like, in terms of, like, fit and certain aspects of the service experience, it's great. And maybe I can ask for your opinion if I think two pairs of glasses look equally great on me or something. Um, but, no, I want to choose my own glasses. So if they have we show about 2,500 pairs of frames. So it would take a little while to go through all of those. 
and and they're dispersed based on style and different types of designs and all. And if Perry said, let me have you sit down, I, I, I look at your face and I know your prescription. I know what would work well. If he was able to pill, pick out five frames right there and you loved all of them, you just prioritize them, would that seem to be a benefit or would it be like, well, like I want to do it myself. I don't need your interference with it. No, that seems like a benefit. That seems awesome. But if you did that, I'd still go and look around to see if he missed anything. I know my style. style, Like, yeah, Perry's a stylist dude, but I want to take a look myself. There's hidden gems there that I don't know that he would pick out. Yeah, I'd go both ways. Uh, First time I came here, Perry, I think, brought out like five frames for me. And I just loved, I think, two or a couple of the ones he picked out. And from there, he was able to uh, adjust the style that I was looking for. And since then I've just loved everything he's had. So um, for me, I like to look around, but also if, if someone's there to help me out, give some advice. And if I think their advice was good, then I'll continue to pursue that. If they gave me frames that I just did not like, I would probably say I'm going to look on my own. Your glasses right now are really good. Did you get them here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what type of frame is that, Chris? <laughs> Only the best Lindberghs. <laughs> right. We love Lindberghs. Quality design. Good um, Danish design. Um, how important is same-day service? If you could get your glasses in, you know, an hour to, you know, eight hours, would that be like, yeah, let me go there? Or you're like, whatever. I'll just wait for it. It's not a big deal. I mean, I think that's an added benefit. Yeah, if you can provide the product within the day. That's pretty impressive, and I, I think that gives the company more of a competitive edge. So, yeah, I would I, I would like that. Yeah, I mean, all factors equal, I would prefer the fast one. <laughs> yeah, prime. I mean, why, why not have it in two days? So let's talk about charitable causes and the shopping industry. So I think Tom's and Zappos and everyone else after them went along with them and said, you buy a pair, we donate a pair. And I think that's turned into something it's really not. What do you guys feel about charitable causes in regards to the business? What do you mean turned into something that it's not? It became a marketing kind of ploy versus, hey, we're going to donate a pair, but come buy this versus, you know, we're actually a legitimate company. We treat our employees well. That seems like a false dichotomy. Like... Like what, they're like a sham company because they're doing marketing by giving to charity or something? Yeah, it looks like they're they're going to influence you by saying, if you buy our product, we will donate a, a similar product or something to a charitable cause. Of course, you never find out exactly how that happened, if it happened, or in what manner. So are they manip- trying to manipulate you so that you'll feel good about your purchase so that you're helping society also? Does that influence you in some way? It doesn't influence me. Like, I wish I shopped at Whole Foods because they treat their employees great. But if Aldi's cheaper, I'm going to Aldi's. Yeah, it really doesn't influence me as well. If they, you know, donate to charity, that's great. Um, All the better. But if they don't, it still would not impact me. If two products were equal and one was donating to charity, I would, like buy that one and I mean I agree that it can be like a marketing ploy but I think that idea that it's like I mean if 
Well, and if there's like this lack of transparency that you're seem to be alluding to, that's also like, I think any lack of transparency is bad, but if somebody is like donating to charity, even if it's like to get you to buy their product, it's better than not doing that. Right. Okay. So, um, we live in a world where a lot of things are produced overseas. How does the country of origin of your products matter in your purchases? So about ballpark figure, 90, maybe 5% of eyewear in the world is made in China, and the Chinese are getting really, really good at manufacturing eyewear. Um, there's some quality designs. The uh, facilities are becoming cleaner, more ethical um, working conditions. How does the country of origin affect your purchases? Unless I'm buying antiques, the country of origin doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think I care. I mean, I'd rather buy something that I know isn't made in a sweatshop, but I also like own an iPhone. So... <laughs> <laughs> You know, man. Yeah, as as sad as as it is to say, I think the country of origin for millennials, just most people, it doesn't really affect them as long as they get what they want. Um, even if there were ethical, you know, boundaries, um, unless it's really impacted the person, the individual, it's really hard to to sway someone based on origin of production. Okay, so let's talk about actually brands. You know, there are there are brands that are genuine brands and there are brands that are like a licensed name. So let's say if it was Prada or Coach, that gives an image at least to, to women about, okay, this is really cool, high quality. I, I love the brand. I just want the brand. And and if it wasn't made, usually if it was, let's say, made in Italy in the past, but now it's actually made in China, do you feel that maybe you're being cheated a little bit by by the brand? The brand has a perception of higher quality, but now you think, like, you know, that was just made in China, and you know that it's going to actually be made in a lower quality. So how does the brand um, history affect what you purchase and where it's where it's actually made yeah let's say a licensed brand i'll give you an example so we handle cartier in our office and cartier traditionally was made in france and high quality so cartier was cartier it's recently been purchased by another company so uh but let's say you you saw something said wow i love a coach purse but it's made in China now, and it's not really the coach of old. So how does that influence you? I don't think we know any better. Like, there's no, They're not telling us that it's not the same quality. We rely on salespeople. Like, Perry Bean, like, Tom Ford's not shit anymore, so don't buy these glasses. Yeah. In all the retail industry, there is a lot of – there's a lot of mergers and acquisitions in uh, the fashion industry. So brands like Ray-Ban are not made by Ray-Ban. They are made by big – conglomerate companies who have no influence on what's going on anymore. So you're, you're just getting something that's pumped out of a factory versus other brands like Chris's Lindbergh is made by Lindbergh by artesian craftsmen with superior quality and design. Um, so there's a lot of confusion in the industry. What's really what? I think I just care about the aesthetics and the price point and I don't really care what the brand is. Like I'm never, I'm not looking at like, Ooh, it's Prada. So we had somebody yesterday, my first appointment of the morning on a Saturday morning, eight, eight o'clock, 
who had insurance here. Uh, she had a legitimate appointment and she showed up and refused to go through the eye exam because we do not carry Jimmy Choo frames. Now we have 2,500 other frames and, and her frame was not a cheap frame. It was probably going to be in the $300 range. So she walked out and refused to have her exam here, even on her insurance. It could have cost her absolutely nothing. So What's your thought about that? I mean, I don't know if I should be upset about it or I should be like, okay, that's a person that we don't really need here. So I don't know. Brand or I have to see this brand now. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, plain Jane, nothing special. We could have found something probably for half the that wants to talk to the manager with a bob. That's what she sounds like. <laughs> so uh it's nothing I mean it's nothing out you know out there. It's something that is kind of like a Me Too brand that we could probably have for maybe a quarter of the price. Just curious. She wasn't a millennial, was she? She was probably an older woman. No, I think she was in her 20s. So, Oh, wow. But Jimmy Choo made a big difference for her. <laughs> so. I didn't even know they made eyewear. So Yeah. Well, it sounds like right now my impression of how millennials make decisions, purchasing decisions, decisions for professionals uh, based on – you you three is quite different and that you're more quality oriented and that you're really looking for the quality or the price or a combination of quality and price. Um, if you, I would summarize that by the value and that we in business are not necessarily being informed correctly. Uh, everybody thinks we should be really hitting social media hard. And if we're not getting results, we are not doing it right or we're not doing it often enough or uh, creatively enough. Perry, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. Or maybe you guys are just a special group of millennials who are extra smart and um, are independent and do your own thing. But I, I agree there that we've been a little skewed by what you know expert marketers are saying about social media. It's really about developing relationships and honing in on those and delivering a good experience and that patient will return and refer others. Well, Molly, Chris, and Taylor, I want to thank you for coming in today and discussing how uh, and what you think of eye care. It's been a really kind of eye-opening experience. (laughs) (laughs) Do Do you have any questions for us about eye care? You know, if you could just ask us something really personal about your eye doctor or how you buy glasses, you know, what would it be? Or why we do what we do. <laughs> I guess my, I'm just curious. Would you say most of your business comes from the exams or the sales of frames? Or is it kind of a equal mixture of both? What What is the big? So I think half the people are going to come in for the doctor qualification. So Dr. Brill has um, lots and lots of degrees and special certifications, which is going to matter maybe for a aging population. They want the best doctor they can find. And then the other part is they just love coming in because we have a a great European collection of glasses and that's the main selling point. So I think it's kind of both. I just thought it was interesting because I've never really put together that this this profession is different than being a medical doctor or a dentist, the retail aspect of it. And it's really interesting to see that kind of collide of healthcare and retail and trying to make it cohesive because retail is all about increasing your numbers in this capitalistic society, but healthcare is trying to move the wellness aspect. And so it's really interesting putting those two together. I've never really thought of it before coming to a 
eye exam. It is very interesting, but all of medical is trying to figure out how is it that we can serve our population better? So dermatologists are selling products and generally they're professional products, whether it's lotions or creams or selling things like IPL, intense pulse light or tr- facial treatments or something that is not covered by insurance, uh, eyelash lengtheners and that type of thing. So uh, you're going to see that more and more and it may even be get your flu shot right now. So if they can sell that flu shot at, at, at Target, given by the pharmacist now, you know, that's just additional revenue. So we should all be altruistic about how we handle patient care and always do what's in the best interest of the patient. And I would rather lose the patient than do something that's unethical, immoral, or against the law. Even though patients ask me to do all those things every day, we stand our ground and and, uh, and do not do what they want us to do. Sometimes it will give you a bad review. What, what do they ask you to do? Okay, so a typical thing is, I just want an exam for glasses, but I want my contact prescription. And even though we ask them, so if you want contact lens prescription, we have to fit you for the lenses. We have to see how they perform on your eyes. We have to know that they're working well, and then we're happy to write out the prescription. But we can't shortcut that process to the detriment of your of your eye health. And even though explaining that, we might get a request from uh, an online company for the contact lens prescription. It's an interesting phenomenon how patients are now coming into the office and they want to dictate their own healthcare. They want to make their own choices, the own drugs they use, the own their own contact lenses. And just because they Wikipedia and read 10 paragraphs, they think they're now an expert of their own opinion. Are you telling me WebMD is not right, Perry? <laughs> It's it's totally right. Yeah. Just keep reading that. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I also think that like the like um we're lucky to live in a society where healthcare and like information is at the point where we like a doctor patient relationship shouldn't be like a total hierarchy where it's like a priest or something like dictating to you. And you're just like the recipient of this. Like it should be an open conversation where you're active. You know, like if I have a cold, I want to be able to tell my doctor that I don't want to freaking take antibiotics six times a year or something, or I don't like, I, I, I can have some opinions on my health care. And just because I haven't gone to med school doesn't mean that like all of my like, obviously, I'm looking to the doctor for opinions and professional advice and stuff. But I think this idea that it should be like a higher, like a totally top down relationship is also like super problematic. I agree with that. We we always look at at what we how we advise patients that we're a team and we make those decisions together. Um but sometimes people say, if I'm paying your bill, you'll just prescribe me Valium whenever I want. You'll do what I want. Otherwise, I'm never coming back. And, and that has happened over time. I've lost families of seven because that year I did not give charitable giving to their school uh, dinner. And for the previous seven years I did, and then they just leave. So we're, we have all sorts of things that uh, people try to bully us about, or I'll give you a bad review if you don't do this, or I, I want all my money back on everything. And we're as accommodating as we can be, but our, our outlook is let's solve the problem. Let's find out what is it we can do to make, to make you happy. So when we're providing services, it's hard to give a guarantee in outcomes. And so we discuss all the different alternatives and try to make that decision together. And I think you're exactly right, Molly, on how that should be. So 
those days of being a, a dictator and you'll follow my rules. I mean, those days are gone. Yeah, yeah. So, but we do try to stand our ground if somebody is not taking their medicine for their diabetes and they're, and they're going to lose their vision. Right. We try to give positive encouragement and try to give us the steps that they can do to help themselves uh, as good as we can. So I think we feel okay once we've done our job as, as educators, as doctors. You know, sometimes in healthcare, a patient comes in, maybe they're 18 years old. At that point, we consider them an adult. However, the decision maker and their and their family who makes all the healthcare decisions is not present at the visit, which makes it really tough for us to provide the correct treatment because now we have a intermediary in there. We have to discuss finances. Um, so it becomes difficult. And the next thing is it's in healthcare, it's really hard to find patients who like the way we do it. Um, you know, sometimes someone comes in and they're just not a good match shirt for the facility. They would rather have um, a mean lady at the front desk opens up a window and fill out a pa- uh, packet of forms versus having a relaxed experience. Well, again, thank you so much, millennials, for joining us today. I think you're going to give great insight to other people in eye care so we can learn and do our jobs better. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. This brings us to the end of another episode of Entrepreneur, the podcast for Wizards of Eyes. Go ahead and click over to our website, entrepreneur.com, or head over to Facebook to join our special Facebook group, Entrepreneur. See you there.